Welcome to Anyone Can Play Guitar, a podcast where we try to learn every single Radiohead song on guitar in order. I'm Nick Kendallsberger. And I'm Austin Diaz. Last week, we talked about the first half of the bends, and there were a few surprises, I guess. Yes, there were surprises in that we had a little bit of doubt as to how much we loved it. <laughs> but then we, we came down on the side of love like every time. We, we woke up and chose love. That's right. That's a good way. We, we, there were some crises of faith, right? Yeah. Is that a good way to put it? Yeah. But we came back to it. I felt a little weird about the bends at first, the actual titles track, but it turned out okay in the end. Yeah, I, I, I've been playing it this week still. I've played all of the, you know, actually I played so much of the first half of the album again, just because I'd gotten so used to playing them that I had, I had to sort of force myself to, okay, nope, I have to learn <laughs> the second half of this album. I can't just sit here and like pretend that I'm playing fake plastic trees in front of somebody, Uh huh. you know. Because then I got, you go down a rabbit hole of all the people that have covered it, that song. Oh, really? Did you have, do you have one that you think is particularly good? The recent one from Phoebe Bridgers and Arlo Park. It's one of the only ones that works because it's still very much Bridgers' voice. She hits all the notes, okay. but it's like, you can tell it's her and it's like one of the better ones. Some Many of them are bad. <laughs> Yeah, I guess you would try if you were too sincere, or I don't know what you would be to make it bad. But yeah, there are some bad Radiohead covers out there. Yeah, they are they are legion. Uh huh. I I still watched a lot of them. Uh huh. Um, but one song I don't think I've heard many people cover is the first one on the second side, which is just. So, you know, I sent you, a, I think before we started doing the bins, there was that um, Chicago Tribune review. You are an employer. I don't know how, I don't know how impersonal we're getting on this podcast. We're buddies. <laughs> Um, you know, but they, when this album came out, they, he, they gave it a one out of five stars. Yeah. They were not Um, impressed. No. And like one of the lines was Nirvana imitation. And I think it's obviously they're talking about this song, but it's also obvious they're only talking about the first two bars (laughs) of this song. What what do you think about that? I mean, like I remember also immediately you make this connection to Smells Like Teen Spirit. It seems a little too... Obvious not to be true, just the way that it is formulated. But I have to say, this song, to me, sounds like some insane combination of Nirvana and the Smashing Pumpkins. You're taking the sort of immediacy of Nirvana and then stretching it out to the limits of a Smashing Pumpkins song with all these different sections, and yet no one would ever confuse this 
for anything but Radiohead. No, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's almost as though they sat down to write a Nirvana song in the same way that like Nirvana sat down to write Pixie songs. Yeah. And they said, but they were like, but instead of four chords, like Smells Like Teen Spirit, we're going to fit in as many <laughs> chords as we can, you know, and it's... I mean, that, yeah, that's the actual quote that I think Tom's had said a bunch of times was Johnny at the time mm-hmm. was trying to get in as many chords as he could into one song. And it's true. I mean, there's a bunch of chords here. <laughs> and they're, for the most part, major. Like, if you go through the chords, mostly major chords, especially in the songbook, if you look at the top, right? And... But it is not a happy-sounding song at all. And I just find that continually fascinating with Radiohead. It's like, they I mean, that opening, the opening four chords are all major. And then mm-hmm. you have a minor at the beginning of the verse line that just immediately goes down to major the rest yeah. of the way. And then I think that A minor is the only, I'm looking through really quickly, it is the only minor chord in the whole song. Is that true? Yeah. yeah. What baffles me is that this, the the intro, the... If someone I know came up with that sequence, that would be the song. <laughs> yeah. But that's just, too, like you were saying, like just the beginning. And then it goes into a completely different section. And then at the end of the song, they come up with a different riff that is almost just as good. Like, that riff is amazing, too. Yeah. (laughs) That could have been the start of any alternative rock hit, I feel like. And they just throw it away at the very end of the song. Right, because, I mean, what you're paying attention to is, like, that note, seeing how long Johnny can draw that, like, 22-fret note out. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I didn't even try it. Like, on the acoustic guitar, especially, it's just like... No, I I don't even... it's, It's not even there. It's not there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's twenty. It's actually the twenty third fret, and you can't. It's not. I mean, the my at least my fretboard only goes up to twenty second. I went. I did it on the electric. It's just not the same unless you like play the whole song and lead into it. We should disclose that we played this song a lot in college. Freshman we did. Year. This is one that we played quite often. I think we really got this down. I mean, we could play this. We could play the shit out of this song. <laughs> I feel like we got so excited about it, but there's so many parts of the song I want to talk about. I need to go like back to the beginning. No, we're yeah, it's um, fine. We're just jumping all around the place. This obviously we love this song, right? This yep. is I wasn't worried about this one. <laughs> no, I wasn't either. <laughs> Unlike the Benz, I was as soon as I started playing it, I was just uh, I was taken in. I love the during the verse, the counter melodies or whatever Johnny's playing. That like yeah, which is super high. Yeah. I like I like when it goes back down. And then it does the... Right. Which I vaguely remember you saying you hate that when that happens. Yeah, I... You know... <laughs> this time it's fine. Okay. Because <laughs> it doesn't match perfectly. Okay. Um, and I'm just making sure we're staying honest with our yeah, audience. But I'm, okay. I'm sure. Yes, I understand that I said I hated this, but it <laughs> it uh, it also leads 
tom on such like a weird vocal melody the first part sounds very bluesy mm-hmm. but then by the end it sounds very jazzy the so the song just alternates between all of these different musical forms mm-hmm. it's sort of alternative rock it's sort of bluesy it's sort of jazzy and Phil Selway is is keeping all of those parts so distinctive and together. Yeah. Like, I don't know how you play this on the drums. This is something we're not going to delve into too much, but like this song must have just taken forever to piece together on the drums to figure out how to go back and forth. Yeah, the bass line is also amazing on this song. Mm-hmm. But I love in the chorus, you come back to the C... And, but instead of doing that riff again, you go down. So instead of going up like you would for the riff, mm-hmm. you go down to that G flat seven. And then, geez, these are great chords. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's a hard rocking song, right? And that you're going from the C into the. I mean, that's just such a nice sounding chord that they make sound terrible in a wonderful way. Everyone else would just be like, no, this is so nice. Like, just let it ring. And they're like, Uh no, let's make it sound really grungy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, apparently almost all the music was written by Johnny. And it just seems, it's almost like a math problem where it's just all of these chords thrown in and they link up in some marvelous but really hard to understand way well but i think that's why he did it really on purpose if i'm if i'm going to go between accident and purpose i think that like they fit together in such a seamless way even though were you to like separate these parts of these songs out and then play them for somebody really completely separately they would think that you're playing them in sections of four different songs but that they shift and stitch together so well i think it's that Johnny knew that these chords fit together in some sort of modal chromaticism. <laughs> I think that's it. Which I don't know if any other alternative rock band of that era was thinking about that at the same time. <laughs> well, and, and they're just not even they're not even close. I mean, I, learning some of the other songs from that playlist, I mean, they're just so much easier in terms of just the chords used. It's a lot of power chords. I mean, also that, you know, they're aping... Nirvana here with Smells Like Teen Spirit, but Nirvana, that's just power chords. Yeah. And here it's like so clearly major and switching the key in a different way. Not Nothing against Nirvana. And that song is... No, 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 not at all. That song is also good, but it's just... You can see why they were to go... We're going to go on to have an effect. But and it's not like a criticism that I'm about to have. I think. Oh, no. Oh, no. I, I don't... I'm not... Don't do it, Austin. What do you... <laughs> What are you going to say? Well, I don't know if this song isn't too clever by half, and I don't know if this song is kind of a problem that they had with, like... You know, from the bins on, if you're a Radiohead fan, you're a Radiohead fan, and you're, like, obsessive. But, you know, Creep is still their most famous song, right? Like, everyone knows Creep, and I just wonder if, like, some people couldn't get past the imitation that the opening of this song has... 
they were like, okay, they're, they're just doing their like Nirvana imitation and they, they're either doing this or they're doing their acoustic stuff. And uh, it's not for me. I'm going to go listen to Creed. Um. <laughs> it's, it is not a, um, it is definitely not as catchy as Smells Like Teen Spirit. But one thing that is interesting is that when they were playing this live before the album, Tom mm-hmm. was playing an electric guitar. But for some reason, having that opening part on acoustic is really important to the song. It gives it a totally different feel mm-hmm. that was really smart of them. To it, That kind of makes it their own. Yeah. No, I, if, like, I completely agree with you, right? But we're yeah. sitting here talking about it. We all like we obviously love this song, and I just wonder if you know this is this song kind of represents a dividing line between like people that are like, yes, I'm sticking with Radiohead, sort of whatever they're going to do, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't get it. What is this? Yeah, I mean, you're totally right. I think Be- think about the video that came with this song. So we haven't even we've briefly mentioned videos before but they were either sort of live performances or mock live performances Mm -hmm. i guess high and dry and fake plastic trees had videos i think the fake plastic trees one is is okay that's the one in the supermarket yeah yeah but i never like need to watch that video but the just video is bizarre and wonderful (laughs) it was originally like just a short film Completely separate from the idea of the song. Right. And then, and then the sh- director decided to use the idea for this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the video where there's the guy laying on the ground and no one can figure out why he's there and he won't tell him why until the end. And then he... You don't know what he says. We don't know what he says, but he says something and then everybody else just lays down in the street because apparently it's so evil or terrifying. And it's, a, I mean, it's a terrifying video. But this is the birth of Radiohead. This is it. This is the, they realize they could go to this place. It's definitely too clever, but that's why I love them. Yeah, that's why we love them. But I just, I'm not, I'm not arguing. That's also why I love them. I just wonder. Yeah, you mean, you're totally right, though. This is such an important part. Even though it kind of has the rocking aspect of some of their earlier stuff, it really squares more in line with what they are going to do later. So we, yeah, we we like this song a lot. It holds up, and it holds up once you learn it on guitar. It was the first song where I've had to really break out the electric to not be completely frustrated. (laughs) Especially trying to do Johnny's parts. It's just even that thing during the the verse. I, I can play this part, but then... I can't even get up there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like my pinky. I just can't do it. I mean. Like, I mean, I, it's so frustrating, right? Like, I know, because it's like you're almost there, but I mean, on the electric, it would be so much easier yeah. to get up there. Okay, so we're gonna we're skipping over my iron lung because we did that. We did. EP, we talked about it, and um, it's basically the same. 
if I before we completely skip over it, I just feel like again the sequencing of this album is a weak point. I find. Yeah. Because you just you grouping together high and dry like one after the other, and then you put just and my iron lung one right after the other, and you're thinking, okay, I mean, <laughs> let's separate these songs out. Not that my iron lung sounds anything like just, but they're both really weird, jazzy, bluesy, grungeified rock songs. You know, because I think we both talked about that we hadn't paid too much attention to My Iron Lung before we learned it for this podcast. And I wonder if the sequencing was the problem with that. Like, My Iron Lung is a rocker, but like, after just, you're like, everything sounds a little bit less exciting (laughs) if you're going for exciting. That's true. It's hard to, yeah, you, you think you would just sort of go right into what the next song is, which is Bulletproof. I wish I was. Or is that what it is? Yeah. Bulletproof. Dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot. Not the print, not the parentheses. No, parentheses is nice dream. That's right. (laughs) Wax me, mold me, heat the pins and stab them in. You have turned me into this. Wish that. You know, when when people make fun of Radiohead, it's usually because they say all their songs are depressing and sad. And like this song is just 100 (laughs) percent what they're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, I was like going even before I listened to it again and started to play it. I just looked at the lyrics. I was like, yep, yep. And then like just reading the lyrics, everything came back to me. Okay. (laughs) You know, and I was like, yeah. And then it's, you know, it's just this like really sad progression. Yeah. With this wonderful like G major 7B. Yep. I really. And it's. I really wanted to hate this song. I was prepared. I was like. I was just right there. I'm like, this song is just too on the nose, sad Radiohead. mm -hmm. And it's so great it's so wonderful it's so wonderful it's so wonderful i've played this song i don't know how many times i don't know how many i mean like i just you know uh, that g major seven that's the one yeah that is an incredible chord Mm -hmm. and it's so beautiful yeah i just i I fell in love with it a bit. I mean, I don't think it's as good as, say, Nice Dream, but I really have an appreciation for this song. Yeah, I didn't and realize how much I loved this song. I'm like, yeah, it's embarrassing. <laughs> it is embarrassing. <laughs> it is embarrassing. I mean, like, my, I think my, my wife was just like, seriously, like, you're going to play that again? <laughs> yeah. Because it's, she's like, you're, you're over there being sad by yourself. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I love the G minor 7 B, but then when it does reach the G, that when I was bulletproof. Oh, come on, hit the note, Nick. I can't get near that high. I mean, I I think I, let me, you can laugh, you you can can laugh at me, but let me see if it's like. Okay, let's see it. It's just like. Wish that was bulletproof. Almost. 
That's that's pretty good. I'm impressed. <laughs> I can't get anywhere near that. Um, uh, I've worked on it a lot because I was like, uh, I want to sound like. And then, but you sound like a bit weird. I only did it when I was at home by myself. Okay. <laughs> until I Your could wife. get it. Until I could get it, and then that was. Then she was like, "Oh, that's nice." I'm like, but maybe not play it all the time. Another thing that's interesting about this song is that Johnny and Ed couldn't figure out what to play because you know how do you you know add to this kind of song? So they had them separate in the studio. And then just make noise without hearing the backing track, which is wild. Well, I mean, Ed is making those whale sounds on his guitar, yeah. on his guitar. And it, that's the, my favorite part. I mean, not, it's not the best part of the song, but that's my favorite noise is that part that Ed plays mm-hmm. where he had no idea what was going on. Yeah. They were just like, yeah, they kept yelling from the, the control room, like, just whale sounds. Bastards. <laughs> <laughs> This is, yeah, this is a song they couldn't have even, that has no precedent on Pablo Honey. It's so beautiful and really depressing. Yeah, it's really depressing. It's really sad. It's like almost gratuitously wallowing, you know, mm-hmm. like wax me, mold me, heat the pants and stab them in. It's embarrassing how much I love this song. And I really didn't, I was just going in not wanting to like it because I, you know, I could just remember that high note and how soft it is. And I said, nope, yeah. this is like, nope, this is, we're, we're, we're contradicting this sort of stereotype of Radiohead. Look at all this work we've done with my iron lung and, uh, I just want to play this song over and over again. Do you have anything else to, to add to this? I mean, the only thing, the only thing is that like that wonderful chord at the end of the chorus, like, oh crap, how have we not talked about that? Yeah. What is that chord called? It's, a, it's just a B flat six. B flat, the... Yeah. I, they just drop it there at the end of the verse. It's sort of an unresolved feeling to it. Well, you would you expect that some you expect another chord to come and either they just restart the verse again or it's it. That's it. It's like they built there's so much tension in switching over to that B flat which shouldn't be there because the key is a Dorian. They don't slip out of it at all until the B flat. Yeah, it's just one little aspect that makes it a, such a pleasing song. Right. I mean, it, it is. I don't like it because it's depressing. I like it because it's beautiful. Yeah. And has all these wonderful chords in it. The, he's able to find beauty in this space. Right. It is. It, but it's something still so alienating about it, especially in the, emphasized by that last chord. I mean, it's just funny because we talked about songs on the EP, the My Iron Lung EP that we we really liked. And you could see three or four of those being more commercial than this song. Mm-hmm. But they had the guts to be like, no, we need Bulletproof. Right. <laughs> we need the really sad song. Yeah, We don't know what the other people in the band are going to do with it. But... Yeah, right. They were like, maybe whale sounds, but we're not sure. We'll yeah. see how it goes. <laughs> Ed's like, I got that. I got whale sounds. <laughs> yeah. Well, so that's probably enough. Um... And so now we're moving on to Black Star. And what they do to me What I've given to What I've given to Name it on your 
So this is the only song that was produced by Nigel Godrich. The story is that John Leakey had an engagement. He had a wedding to go to. So they said, go record some B-sides. And then it came out so well that they put it on the album. Yeah, they were just at the rehearsal space. They weren't even at the actual studio, right? He set up and recorded them where they were just rehearsing. I am going to make a prediction that you like this song. I love this song. <laughs> I you know, and it's, uh, God damn it. Like, I mean, I was actually, I've been waiting the whole Bins era to get back into this song. Okay. And I don't know why. I love this song. And it's not even so interesting, comparatively speaking. I mean, it's still an interesting song. Yeah, it's a weird song in that it's not the most complex song. You know, it doesn't have some crazy ending that's different than everything that came before. There is the time signature change, which is something that they were doing. Already. In, uh, pub- yeah, they had already been doing. But because so it changes from 6-4 to 4-4. Four, four. Which almost sounds like an Oasis song. I'm not yeah. going to lie. No, I mean, it's um, <laughs> it's completely but, um, an Oasis song. <laughs> but it's like Oasis taken, just like, it goes over Oasis's head. They're like, oh, you want to hear an Oasis song? Like, we can do that. Well, but uh, we're like, going to make it even better. Well, Oasis would have just kept going with that opening, right? Like, the Oasis yeah. would have fallen so much in love with that... They would not have. They would have. Okay, now, baby, <laughs> gonna be those set. Yeah, but it's, it's gonna work. <laughs> I know. And but they have this beginning, and then they don't use it until the middle of the song when it comes back in, and it's so refreshing when it mm-hmm. does come back in. So I have to admit something. Likewise, I have loved this song for a long time. In fact, when I was in high school my English teacher asked us to bring in a song that meant the most to us. (laughs) And I brought in Black Star as the one. Now, I didn't pay enough, I didn't pay close attention to the assignment because the assignment was to bring in lyrics to a song that represented us. And as a virgin 14-year-old, this didn't square. No. (laughs) My teacher laughed at me and threw the lyrics in the trash can. No. <laughs> and made me choose another song. Because the first line is, I get home from work and you're still standing in your dressing gown. Right. You're basically like, <laughs> it's a, basically a, a John Cheever short story. I completely understand you because I, I I remember listening to this on my Disman and being like, yep, this is it. It's like, that. this is what I wanted my life to be, maybe. Because I was, you know, I was in a small town and this this felt so urbane, maybe, that I wanted to escape to a world that was like this. Where you're just depressed at everything that's going on? I mean, but I can't... <laughs> I think I just wanted to feel... I wanted to somehow tap into that the emotion of this song. And okay. like have these grown-up... I think it's like it's such grown-up emotions, right? I mean, yes. the, the third verse... Right, like that. I get on the train, I just stand the back. And I don't think of you. He's singing so high. It's, I love this song, but it's yeah. such a high song to sing. I know, I have to go down a step. But I love that E minor, add nine. Instead of going to an E minor? Yeah. 
that chord just makes it. Mm-hmm. I don't understand because it's it's almost just a B power chord, but because there's the ringing of all the strings, mm-hmm. it sounds so mysterious. Yeah. Oh my god. And then the the chorus is just it's A minor and C add nine. This is not mm-hmm. anything insane. But the way Johnny's guitar comes in, yeah, is just extraordinary. And it's it, uh, they, it's just a, except for that E major or not what is it E minor add nine. Except yeah. for that, these chords are completely. We've seen all of them. We have in Radiohead songs. But with this song, I didn't even have a crisis of confidence because I just knew I loved it. There's something really off the cuff about this song. They recorded it in a day. And there's something about that that feels really refreshing on the bends. The just spontaneous nature of it happening. It feels like it could be a B-side. But if it were a B-side, this would be maybe the best Radiohead B-side. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm so glad this is on the album. I don't wish it was a B-side, but it has that playfulness of a Radiohead B-side that mm-hmm. I love where they didn't overthink it. Ah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, they don't they didn't fiddle with it too long. I mean, it's really weird when when the chorus comes in and Johnny's guitar is so loud. Mm-hmm. But instead of bulking it out with other guitars, they leave it so bare. So you can really hear how distorted and messy it is. And it makes it better. Because <laughs> you think you would put like guitars on the side because it mm-hmm. comes right in the middle of if you're wearing headphones. Right. You'd think you would, you know, just have like power chords playing on the, other, on the sides of it. But it, it's almost empty space. I was just fascinated by that as I was listening. Well, that's, de- that's definitely a Godrich decision. I mean, I read that people were telling them like, oh, you sh- you're going to fix that, right? And they're like, why <laughs> fix that? <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> we like this. We like this song. <laughs> we like this song. It's embarrassing. The, co- the, the chorus version you sent me, I feel like I, I, I almost cried. <laughs> right. So I sent Austin a version of this song is performed by a choir in a church. And it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty incredible. All right, so let's move on to um, the, the penultimate song on the album, which is Sulk. Diaz, riddle me this. What does it mean to be the worst song on the Benz? <laughs> to be better than most <laughs> other <laughs> songs. Yeah. To be, well, not every song on Pablo Honey, but almost. It's the one song I'm not a big fan of. More than any of the other songs on the album only works because like Tom kind of makes it work. If you're playing this chorus, I don't like I don't like this chorus until I can unless I can hear Tom's voice in my head. If he's not just going for it and selling it, this doesn't work at all. Tom's vocal is very impressive and I think that this is a showcase for his voice, but I feel like they go too hard too fast on it so by the first chorus i mean his voice is already going very high 
Yeah. And very, very loud. And there's nowhere to go after this. So then you get a key change in the last chorus and it, it just doesn't work for me. Well, it's it not, it's not like, as affecting because like he's already twice you've had that like, so, you know, that, that where it just sails. It's like, okay. And I don't, I feel like they were like, we don't know what to do. You know, like, what do we do to make it, to give it an ending? And then they're like, well, we'll change the keys. So then he'll go even higher. And then at that point, it's just a little taxing as a song to get through. Yeah. Because he's going full tilt the whole time. It's not like he's saving it for the end. It's almost like he is not quite reaching it at the end. I don't know. I don't like the singing at the end. Uh, I just don't have a lot to say about this song. I don't like completely dislike it. I like to listen to it. I don't like to play it. It's this one okay. where it is not, it's actually, my appreciation of it has gone down having learned it. Oh yeah, for sure. There's nothing really interesting, like the most interesting, no, there's not even really an interesting chord that pops up. And I don't like this D major 7. I don't like that chord change, like from the D to the D5 to the D major 7. Yeah, that this seems like an early Radiohead trick and it is because this is one of their oldest songs this is a song that tom wrote in the summer of 1987 as a response to the bloody incident in hungerford berkshire in the united kingdom where a 27 year old went on a shooting spree and killed 17 people i'm not laughing at the murders i'm laughing that radiohead would write a song about it yeah it's, it's not a sad song i mean it's not a openly dour song no. And so then it it doesn't feel like it fits the incident. I mean, not that it has to be depressing. This song just took a long time for Radiohead to record. It was the last song they recorded for the album because they couldn't get it right. And I think they couldn't get it right because they just should have left it, let it go. Yeah. They're so good at dynamics on this album and not just making things loud at the end like they did on every single song on Pablo. Honey, yeah, they just like, like had this sort of break, you know, like breakdown rock drop (laughs) yeah and then so they would end and it would be super loud and this sort of just seems like a leftover from that era i think that's why it's you know 11 on the album i think they really wanted to bury this one but would it have been better if they used one of their b-sides i don't know uh yeah what b-side would you put here instead from the my iron my iron long ep between between black star and street spirit which we're about to talk about what b-side yeah I guess nothing really would. I never thought about this. I don't, this is one of those songs that I like Nice Dream that I just kind of never thought about. Then I fell in love with Nice Dream as we were learning it. And I, opposite has happened with this one. Yeah. <laughs> like you were saying. I would maybe put Trickster. It could work. Okay. But I just love that song. I do too. And it would be a nice lead into the last song. Which is? Street Spirit. I guess originally called Three-Headed Street Spirit. And on the one hand, this is a song that I just absolutely love. And on the other hand, I just really, 
bumping up against my guitar abilities with this song. It's just I don't I don't know. Do you have problems with this picking pattern? So this is a song that when I was in high school, I spent hours and hours learning to play. So by the time I was in college, I could play this and I can't do it anymore. (laughs) I just break down about halfway through and I feel terrible about it. Yeah. This song more than any song on the bends is one I've had the most fraught relationship with this time. When We started this project, I would have said that Street Spirit was the stone-cold masterpiece of the Benz. And now I'm not sure about that. I'm working that out in my head. I still really love this song. Tom's Mm -hmm. performance especially is, I mean, talk about a difference between Sulk and this. This is what I want to hear Tom doing. Right. Most of it is basically A minor, E minor, and C. C. Yeah. And I was initially kind of disappointed when I saw that as I was getting back into it. But the picking pattern is so mesmerizing Mm -hmm. that it is really beautiful because it just keeps going. I think what we're having a hard time like getting back into it is it just never stops. It just keeps picking the whole way through. Right, and it's like it's it's be cheating to do it with fingers. Right, like it doesn't sound right. I can't let myself, yeah, it doesn't sound right. And I can't, I just like, my pride would, I'd rather fail trying to pick it yeah. than to finger pick it. So the biggest problem for me with this song is that when I came back to learn it, I was like, oh my God, this is a REM song. And then I started listening to Automatic for the People and then I started reading quotes by Tom, so we, where he says that it was a straight ripoff, you know, of REM. Yeah, <laughs> I've lip, I've ripped them off left, right, and center for years and years and years. I'd never thought about it being an REM inspired song, and then they really do take it somewhere else. And so it's not like a REM cover by any means, mm-hmm. but I can hear those influences a little bit more. But the thing about the song that is that still stands up for me. Just the lyrics are so despairing. Yeah. Just outrageously sad. He has this sort of interview where he goes on about that. He feels as though he was just a catalyst for this song. He read that book by the Nigerian author. I want to say Ben Okri, Ben Oak. famished road. Yeah. Which I have to read this book or maybe I don't. Um, but he says he's just a catalyst in that actually when he has to sing it, he almost has to separate himself from the lyrics because it's just too intense, even for him. I mean, okay. You, Cracked eggs, dead birds scream as they fight for life. I can feel death and I can see its beady eyes. And yeah, but okay. And I wanted to get to this line, right? Because, you know, it's the only time where you sort of break, right? Because like you have the picking pattern. I I try and play it right. But at this part, with like the most disturbing lyrics, right? Right after this link, it's just this. Somehow it's Oh, I didn't so, realize it changes. Yeah, it changed. It changes, okay. right? Like it's... And it's, for some reason, missing this... That Taking that note out makes it so much more sinister. Mm-hmm. 
and it just sort of sneaks in because the picking pattern's the same. And it yeah. just sort of like sneaks in that like he takes away this sort of like ringing note that's almost sort of an anchor. Yeah. And then it's and then um the way that Selway plays the drums at this part, I feel like the crack of the drumsticks is sort of like sort of heightened here. Yeah. Oh, it's terrifying. It is terrifying. This is a song that instead of getting very loud at the end, you just get Johnny's swells on the keyboard, which also kind of hints towards OK Computer. And then, I mean, it's really, it's both beautiful and then terrifying. I mean, I'm having the same issue that I just complimented Black Star about, how it's not the most complex song, uh, if we're talking just sort of about the different parts. So I don't know if I just want Street Spirit to be, to just wow me in a way that it's not doing. You sent me Drive. I mean, I think we should be Drive by R.E.M. It's really kind of the song that you feel that inspired this more, most closely, or is there other songs that you didn't There's send other me? songs. There's a Sweetness Follows. Doesn't It doesn't sound like this, but it has the same use of repetition. Mm-hmm. R.E.M.'s really big about using these repeated phrases. For some reason, instead of it getting annoying when they repeat these phrases, it you just kind of get into this groove with it. And that's sort of what's happening here. Yeah, but I don't. I don't. I've tried it. You sent me that playlist of like jangly REM and uh-huh. I've like tried to go back to like listen. You know, because I think my problem with REM is I had Monster, right? Okay. Which start this that's the one that starts out what's the frequency, Kenneth? Yeah. And that album is not good. It's pretty good. No, it's not good. It's not okay. You know, so yeah, it's just it's just it's not, not the most REM album. I will totally give you that. Lyrically, Michael Stipe on that album is doing wild things, but okay. that's a whole different conversation. I just find it. I you know, and maybe people people can hate me, and you can send me messages or whatever. I just find it boring. Okay. I just find what? I really try with REM because like everyone talks about, I had professors in college that were like, yeah, if you like Radiohead, you have to listen to REM. Um, I know that they're a seminal band. I know that they're, they've obviously influenced, but this song is so much more interesting. For example, Street Spirit is so much more interesting than a song like Drive. Okay. Well, how do you feel about the immerse your soul in love? The end. Yeah. Uh, cool. I feel like- <laughs> You think it's cool? Like, that's the most terrifying part of the whole song. What are they doing? Yeah, this is part. The, this is my favorite part, actually, of the whole song is when he does the "Immerse Your Soul in Love." Because if this were a Beatles song and they sang "Immerse Your Soul in Love," mm-hmm. it would be this utopian statement, right. like "La di da." Yeah. But coming after this song, I don't know how to process it. It's terrifying because it's the only option you have left. Everything else is horrible. Like in a Beatles song, Immerse Your Soul in Love, it's like because because everything else is happy. You Mm -hmm. know, like give in to the happiness, Immerse Your Soul in Love, right? And this song, it's, I mean, everything is lost. We are living in sort of like Baudrillard's simulacra and um, nothing is real and so you immerse your soul in love even if that's maybe not real either (laughs) and so you have no other choice i like that interpretation because i i was reading some people say that that this is a a positive end to the album and song and i don't feel positive at all you Um, and one should not where were you reading this in the exit music Uh that book 
the quote is, the Immerse Your Soul in Love is lyrically the most positive note on the album, although the music remains in a resolutely minor key to the end. But I just don't feel like that is a proper reading of the line. Well, it's also not a proper reading of the chords. I mean, you, all of a sudden you have like a very major G and then mm-hmm. an E major where we've had E minor the whole time. And so it's like, it's, it even should have this major lift in the words of uh, Leonard Cohen, and it just doesn't. Yeah, you're right. I mean, okay, look, I love this song. I, it's a great song. I just was a little shaken by relearning it. And I, it's a difficult picking pattern. I mean, it's not a difficult picking pattern. It just never stops. So it's hard to like go through the whole song like that. But if we both practice for a week, we could probably get it. Right. If I, if I only did this, like started, like (laughs) how I used to do songs where I would start slow until it was just muscle memory and then speed up, then I could do it. I mean, this song is, it probably was in my top 10 favorite Radiohead songs. And I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not, I have to admit that I'm in the same spot. I'd learned, I tried to learn this song enough the same way you did earlier. So there wasn't any surprises coming um, other than just not being as good as I was. So are we just upset with ourselves? I think maybe we're a bit upset, but it's just also after Just or Nice Dream or any number of, I mean, you can almost count them out. There's just something more musically interesting this song is more powerful because of the lyrics and the overall right. like vibe of the song. It's a really arresting way to end the album, for sure. And I mean, the leap between Pablo Honey and the Benz is hard to comprehend sometimes. But so next week, we have even more Benz material to get through. We're going to approach some B-sides here. And then I thought we would actually do a little Benz award program. Uh-huh. Where we would talk about, we'll, we'll figure out for sure the categories, but I thought we would sort of name them after the songs on Pablo Honey that surprised us. So it could be the I Can't Believe I Didn't Know This Song Was Great Award. <laughs> like the Creep Best Single Award. The Best Single Award. And then like Blowout well, Best Song on the Album Award. Uh-huh. The Blowout. We'll nail those down soon enough. And then, okay, let's go through the B-sides that we still need to talk about. I mean, about. I, was just, I was just looking at them. Are we going to learn seven? Because we have How Can You Be Sure, Killer Cars, Maquilladora, Maquilladora, sorry, Talk Show Host, Molasses, Indian Rubber, and Banana Co. Yeah. And, I mean, just reading the titles, I know all of the, I mean, they're in my head in a way that other ones, other B-sides were not. All the songs on the Anyone Can Play Guitar podcast are by Radiohead and performed by Nick Kendallsperger and Austin Diaz. Mm-hmm. 